Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Last December, I was visiting my family down in Florida, and we spent some time on Treasure Island. My brother and I took our dog down to the beach at about 2 a.m. to play some fetch and drink and have a good time. If you walk along the water, you can reach a few restaurants and bars along the hotel line of the beach. Out of nowhere, we see someone walking pretty quickly in our direction from over there, and a few moments later, we can make out that they're being followed. My dog is arguably pretty well trained, and I've never once had her run off without permission, and never once has she not instantly returned when called but that changed that night. She was about five feet from me, and I saw her hackle shoot up, and I went to grab her collar, but she took off in a full sprint, making some truly terrifying barking and growling sounds. We obviously took off after her, and she reached the first person and stopped between them and the people behind them. She was barking and growling and lunging, and I finally caught up and put her on a leash. She's never reacted in that manner, so it was truly scary. The group following ended up being three men that were probably in their early 30s. They started booking it in the other direction, I turned around and the person being followed was a young woman around my age. We asked if she was okay and she just broke down in tears and collapsed into my brother. My dog insisted she get on the ground for some excited pup kisses and a soaking wet cuddle, which they both seemed to enjoy. She was far too overwhelmed to talk so she got onto her phone and rang her friend's number to have us talk to her. We were able to figure out where she was staying and walk her back to her hotel where we met up with her friends and we all exchanged numbers to talk at a later time. The next day we all got together where we learned she had gone out for a walk on the beach stopped for a drink at the bar, drank a bit, and then just started not feeling right. So she left the bar and soon noticed three men left after her. She had been walking for about a mile at that point, terrified and slowly getting more and more messed up. She doesn't remember much about the night and we knew she was probably on something, but we had no clue she'd been drugged. We're still friends now and we're all going to meet up when we're back in Florida. I've never been more proud of my dog and more grateful that we were in the right place at the right time. I hate thinking about what could have happened. So for all those enjoying spring break, Make sure that you watch your drink, watch out for your friends, and even more, watch out for sketchy people. I've never shared this story, except strangely enough to my teacher at the time. I was in first grade at Northside Elementary in DeSoto, Texas. We lived about three long blocks down, as my mother liked to call it. I personally feel it was a lot more. My sister and I were brought to school on a regular basis and walked home. My parents chose to divorce right at this time. My dad moved out and we started seeing him every other weekend. My mom began dating someone else and I remember she became disinterested in taking us to school as much. She became very preoccupied with her new relationship and I remember that she often had me walking to school as well as coming home. Thinking back to this day, I'm not sure why I was late. Maybe there was a doctor's appointment or something along those lines. I remember that it wasn't very late at all, maybe just an hour or so after school had started. My mom pulled up in the car and I got out. I remember hoping that she would wait there to watch me go up the flights of stairs and inside, but she drove off right away. And this is when I saw him. A man, pretty normal looking, stepped out of a car looking directly at me. My mom had pulled off and this man was the only person around. He crossed the street quickly at an angle, coming directly at me. I remember turning and running up the three flights of stairs that separated me and the front doors of my school. When you're a little girl, these stairs seem much bigger. I remember looking over my shoulder and he was literally running up the stairs after me, and I had that horrible gut reaction and ran as fast as I could. I remember the double doors in front of me and I was panicked, thinking I wouldn't make it. 
At that young age, I felt the energy coming from this otherwise normal-looking person who would have looked like my dad. I remember the huge intrinsic feeling of doom and the urgency to get through those doors. And luckily, to my surprise, I did make it. I immediately turned around and saw him, standing on part of the second set of stairs, and he just stood there staring at me as I looked at him from inside the building. Then, looking very frustrated, he simply turned, walked back to his car, got in, and pulled off. I remember telling my teacher about it. Maybe a week later, a police detective showed up to interview me about what happened. This makes me think it may have been connected to something else that happened in the area at the time. I don't think I've ever been that afraid in my life, and it was a powerful fear to say the least. Through that fear, though, I'm glad that I listened to that little voice telling me to run. Who knows where I would have been without it. And to all the parents out there, make sure you take an extra beat just to make sure your kids get to where they're going. It could make all the difference in the world. I'm a 28-year-old female, and this story is from years ago. Let's just say my name is Jenna for the story's sake. I haven't been back to the same place since, but I always share this story with my friends. It's become a favorite whether they believe me or not. I used to visit my family's cottage up north for summer vacations and 4th of July, things like that. It's a waterfront cottage facing a lake surrounded by a dense forest. It's located on a private beach, so you see your neighbor every once in a while. Everyone comes up north about the same time, so it wouldn't be uncommon to have a chat with others, and thus, everyone knows each other and subsequently their business. My cottage sits between two others. One is inhabited quite frequently, and one is abandoned. My family and neighbors know the European family that owns it. I just assume that they hold on to the property to maintain some sort of tangible asset in the United States. Back when I was young, around the ages of 18 to 20, my cousins, brother, and I would get away from our family to go smoke in the abandoned cottage to avoid any sort of scolding. It was fun, an empty cottage with some furniture that was a time capsule from the 1980s. We would peer around and look at the old brown love seat, the dark den, the main living room adjoining the dining area, and the cute little kitchen with old wine glasses lying around. It wasn't exactly a secret that others had been through the abandoned cottage as well. There were smoke joints on the ground, footprints, old beer bottles with modern labels, and furniture was always moved around from one position to another. However, the cottage was never spruced up. It was never cleaned nor organized, so we knew that the owners weren't coming by. It was random explorers doing the same things that we did. Upon some curious investigation, we saw a basement. We opened the door and saw a staircase that led to a floor that was pure dirt. It looked like a cellar from what I could see. I stood at the top of the stairs looking down and saw exposed brick, nothing particularly interesting. Of course we would try to freak each other out, saying someone lived down there, that there was a serial killer living there, or there was a corpse collection buried under the dirt floors. So none of us would go down there with our independent conviction. It would have to be on a dare or a display of bravery. One day, around Thanksgiving, four of us, which was three girls and my brother, went to the abandoned cottage to go smoke some joints and gossip about the family. I don't see my cousins much, only during special occasions, so we sat on the tables in the dining area to smoke, chill, and chit-chat. Of course, the topic of the basement would come up. We laughed and talked about who would go down there, who would be most likely to survive the serial killer living beneath us, waiting for his next victim to enter his abode. That's when we turned and noticed that the basement was unlocked, and this was unusual, since it was always locked. The one occasion where it was unlocked was when we took a look, or one of my brothers would go down there to freak out all the girls and prove his macho, so to speak. We would always lock it afterwards though, purely for the feeling of reassurance. We chalked it up to other teenagers just like us having visited the cottage before, and all of us girls made my brother get up and lock the door. He stood, looked us all up and down, and jokingly said something along the lines of, You guys are just wusses. Always get a man to do the scary thing for you. We laughed, but he was the guy. If there was someone down there, he would be the most likely to defend himself. He's a big dude, 210 pounds and 6'5". 
He took maybe three steps before there was a loud, audible knock. Considering that this cottage was quite old, I thought that it came from the side of the building. I don't think that there's any significant insulation that would prevent an audible knock from being heard. I instantly looked at my brother, who with a smug look on his face, said, You know, if you ask me to do something for you, don't mess with me while I'm doing you a favor. I looked around, waiting for one of my cousins to fess up and mock his masculine courage. It seemed like everyone was resoundingly confused, anxious, and waiting for the same thing I was. I guess my brother saw their reactions and didn't see mine, and then concluded that I was the source of the suspicious knock since my back was turned to him. Very funny, Jenna. You think you're such a joker, my brother said with a chuckle. This is when I turned to look at him, and I think that he saw my anxious face at that point. I thought that maybe him walking on the old floors unsettled some of the structural integrity of the building. Maybe it was one of our parents messing with us, but I didn't think it was from a foreign source. I quipped at him, just go lock the door. He continued walking towards the door, but it opened slightly, and he stopped dead in his tracks. We're going now. Forget that door, one of my cousins sternly said. We all got up from sitting at the tables, we gathered our things, and we quickly made our way to the front door, not daring to look back. My brother was the last of this anxious conga line that was created by the bottleneck of the only exit. I heard significant footsteps coming from the back of the cottage. I thought it was my brother, and I turned back and I swear to God, I saw a hand opening that basement door. While I may have been the only one within our party to see that hand, I certainly wasn't the only one that heard a foreign voice say, Go. We ran faster, dropping bottles, pipes, and shoes. We ran so fast that our flip-flops flew off. I knew it wasn't any of us, not even one of our parents. It was a low, stern voice from afar, and my brother was right behind me. When we made it back to the safety of our own cottage, we were all thoroughly flustered and terrified, and began the process of trying to figure out what it was that we just encountered. While we couldn't exactly shake off the possibility that it was a homeless person seeking refuge in an otherwise abandoned building, that voice was so deep and ghastly that it almost felt inhuman. After hiding our stashes, we recounted the entire story to our parents, who then called the cops, and we were able to watch from afar as they checked out the abandoned building. After checking every crevice and crawl space in which somebody could potentially be hiding in that cottage, the police came back and told us that they found nothing and no body. And this included the basement, which had no visible footprints, a thick layer of dust covering every single surface, and zero identifying marks that would have shown a human was inhabiting it. And while this left our young group with more questions than it did answers, it also left us all with the feeling that we made our exit from that cottage at exactly the right moment. There's no telling what could have awaited us beyond that door. And while I don't believe in spirits or demons or anything like that, when something tells you to go, you listen, and you don't ever go back. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs>